You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. Hello, it's the RUV English podcast and I'm Darren Adam with you. Thank you very much for your company today. Uh, over the last few Fridays and for the next few Fridays, we are going to be continuing to discuss and examine the history of Icelandic music in all of its many many forms and my guest guiding me through this has been and continues to be Lydia Athanasopoulou, a music journalist joining me from Siglifjörður again. Hi again Lydia, um, we, we talk about the history of Icelandic music and we really are going to start at a very very distant point in time today aren't we for reasons that will become clear as we get into the episode but we're going back to 1208. It's incredible to think that what we're going to hear is Well, it's over 800 years old. Indeed. Uh, thank you for having me back. Uh, it's lovely to explore this um, fascinating world of Icelandic music with you. Um, indeed, yeah. So, Heir Himna Smithur, listen, creator of the heavens, hark, creator of the heavens. Um, as far as I uh, have, uh, as far as I know from my research, is the oldest psalm um recorded in Iceland and is still sung today uh, it's very very popular especially with um, you know choir music yeah. it was written by uh, Kolbein Tumason back in like you said 1208 so that would have been uh, about 200 years after Iceland abandoned their Norse uh, religion and uh, took on Christianity and it seems that um throughout music history religion has been a driving force behind the creation of art Uh, and also, obviously, music. And uh, so, even though I'm not religious myself, it is hard to deny the beautiful works uh, of music that have have come about uh, that um, talk about you know religion or or, or God or or. Oh, or oh indeed, like that. I, I think it's it's possible to be an atheist and yet impressed by the aesthetics of the art in the Vatican, for example. There's no Absolutely. conflict there, is there? Yeah, yeah, and exactly, and I think. You know, because so much of religious art, the point is to uh, to highlight, uh, you know, in religious enlightenment and uh, and no notions of you know the heavens. Uh, I think that's why it lends itself so beautifully to uh, music and especially choir music, uh, because the voices really do sound truly angelic. Yeah. Well, choir music and classical music is what we're going to look at and listen to today. But let us hear uh, a recording of Herr Himna Smither from, or at least a piece of music written in 1208.
Her Himna Smither, which we think is the oldest psalm still sung in Iceland from the year 1208. Uh, Lydia, as we discuss Icelandic classical music, I suppose right at the very heart of that discussion is Jón Leifs, who is the most famous of the modern composers of Iceland. And he is thought of as the most famous of what we call the modern composers in Iceland, isn't he? Yes, indeed. He is He is obviously very well known here in Iceland, but uh, also uh, abroad. Most people, um, you know, when I have spoken to them about Icelandic music, they often actually do reference Jón Leifs. So his... His uh, fame ha- is far-reaching. He has done uh, so much and, and explored very many different sort of styles. He's done choral music, classical music, um, uh, symphonies, um, orchestral pieces. And much of his music is intended, and this takes us back to the, the Noises from Iceland podcast that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, much of his music is intended to sound like the country. It's intended to sound like the geology of Iceland. How does he do that? How does he turn, for example, the sound of a water, Detifoss is one of his pieces. How does he turn the sound of the country into notated music? It's quite a thing, isn't it? Indeed, yeah. He, You're right, Detifoss uh, is one of his most famous pieces and he does explore um, Icelandic nature and Icelandic sounds with his music. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why a lot of people are drawn to it. Mm. Um, uh, because, you know, he, he's exploring things that don't exist in other countries. Um, and I think, I think given that, given that, like we referenced, you know, a lot of music, uh, classical music is religious. And from what I was reading, you know, he, he did come from a rather, um, mystic background. You know, he had an interest in, uh, sort of the, uh, in the spiritual, if not in a strictly religious sense, and he was very thoughtful uh, on these matters and and he he pondered on you know the purpose of life and the selfishness of man and how to ennoble one's spirit he, so he were, he was um exploring concepts of uh spirituality in his music but i think by way of living in iceland mm. i think a large part of uh icelandic outlook and philosophy and and even approach to matters such as religion are are and can only be related also to the beautiful natural uh, landscape that surrounds them and and the way of life that has emerged uh, by living on this uh, sort of isolated rock. And I think he manages to transfer that to his music uh, really beautifully um, in in a way that is uh, very thoughtful, very moving, um, and obviously shows his great love for for this country. He was a real lover of Beethoven Mm -hmm. and... uh, for him, through music, a world of sort of enlightenment and beauty and, and religious enlightenment opened up for him. When he looked at the sheet music of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony for the first time, he wrote in his diary, I can't express in words the impression I had. It was as if my soul had arrived in paradise and a heavenly fire was burning in my heart. And noting further down, I suppose this symphony could make all men brothers. And um, you know, well, I think that, that's, that's the so review beautiful. you want, isn't it, for the CD movement? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he, he um, couldn't express it in words, so he figured out how to do it in music. Yeah, and we're, we're going to hear an example of that. But the ones that specifically reference Icelandic geological features, uh, thinking of hathis, which means drift ice, it's the sound of ice, you know, very slowly moving and and cracking. Detifos, we've talked about as well. The waterfall, and also very much in that canon, Heckler. Tell me about Heckler. We're going to hear a bit of that. I think it's his sonic in- interpretation of 
what a volcanic what the volcanic eruption of Hecla uh, sounded like and it's really a very bombastic energetic uh, piece of music and um, you know he employs his orchestra fantastically and uh, that is one thing that I really do like about his music is that um, he manages to bring out the best from every aspect of the orchestra and I think Hecla illustrates not only you know his mastery uh, as as a composer and conductor and and yeah creator of classical music but i think he also really manages to transfer us to what it probably sounded like to be around hecla when it erupted
Heckler, a work by Jorn Leifs, and one of many that sought to recreate in orchestral form the natural sounds of Iceland. Let's turn to the Hamrachlif Choir, founded in 1981, intimately associated with Björk, I think I'm right in saying, because she was a member of this choir, wasn't she? And she, uh, she's also, I, I guess, had the favour returned, you could say, because they have recorded with her on some of her records. Indeed, indeed. Uh, and I think they're probably one of the most famous choirs in Iceland. There are yeah. so many choirs in Iceland. Uh, I, I dare say every town probably has or has had one at some point uh, in history. And um, yeah, I think the Hamrachlid Choir is is particularly uh, famous also because of its involvement with uh, Björk and, and collaborating with her. And um, their founder, Thorgerður Ingolfsdóttir, who was the conductor until 2017, um, was uh, she also accepted an honorary award at the Icelandic Music Awards in 2013. Um, and I think that says quite a lot when, uh, you know, the music awards of a country also honour and include choir music, uh, especially, you know, in in today's world where, you know, choir music is often maybe considered something a bit of the past. But here in Iceland, it's still a very, very active music, uh, form of music expression. And I think that's truly wonderful. The track I've selected is called Verod Flower Sining Sig. It's from the Islensk Thjodlog, which is also the name of the Bjarni Thonsnesen collection of, uh, tradition, of traditional Icelandic folk songs. Uh, and it does mean Icelandic folk songs. And I came across this on YouTube, um, and it's a it's got a very famous uh, painting uh, of turf houses that most people will probably recognize. And it's a truly beautiful collection um, because also there's such a fantastic choir. And um, this specific song, um, as far as I know, so Berold Flower Sinir Si loosely translates to concealed world uh, shows itself to me. This song talks about uh, the, the world showing itself to humans and it talks about lying down in the grass and how all the little pieces of grass uh, prick against the skin. Um, and I think it's such a beautiful, potent metaphor um, for the natural world and, and how all things large and small within it, um, you know, uh, are, are at the same time significant and also insignificant. It's just very existential, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Um, and this song is just truly beautiful. It totally brings uh, chills up my spine. Um, so that's the one I selected and I could just listen to it on repeat forever. Oh, wow. 
Hum Relief Choir, founded in 1981, Vera Flower Senior C. Let's move to another uh, choir, the Vizier Men's Choir in Siglifjörður, one of so many choirs around the country. A few years ago, before we moved to Iceland, living in Edinburgh, my partner, who is a member of a choir, was a member of a choir in, in Edinburgh, and also the chairman of the choir, received a letter from the Male Voice Choir in Isafjörður, an email, actually. It was not a letter, but anyway. And the email said that this particular choir from Isafjörður once a year, they like to, or maybe once every couple of years, I forget, they like to travel somewhere around the world and, and sing with another male voice choir. And they'd been to the Canadian town of Gimli, which, of course, has the Icelandic community, and they'd, they'd sung there with a the choir there. And they asked my partner, who's also was the chair of the choir, would their choir be able to come to Edinburgh and perhaps sing with, with the Edinburgh Gay Men's Chorus? And my partner was able to reply, not only is that a definite yes, but we're going to be in Isafjörður in about 10 days' time. <laughs> we want to meet up and discuss it, which I don't think they were particularly expecting. So we went to Isafjörður, went to their rehearsal. And what struck me was that, and, and bear in mind, this was a very, very wintry, cold, dark night in, I think, February, it would have been maybe of that year. And something like 40 people were there. You know, active members of the choir, all of whom pretty much also came to Edinburgh with their partners, with their wives. We worked out that something like 2% of the entire population of Isafjörda was in the uh, Leith Dockers Club in Edinburgh <laughs> that night. But what that speaks to is just is the popularity, I think, of taking part in the choir experience in Iceland. Absolutely. I, that, that's such a wonderful story. And um, what you said, that it was a particularly sort of cold and dark winter day, night or day, mm, um, mm. I think that ties around a lot to perhaps why choirs, um, you know, ended up being so popular because they were they were a way for people to socialise um, and it was indoors. And uh, given the tradition of uh, sort of reciting poetry or singing to each other um, centuries ago, um, I, you know, and reading about the Visir men's choir history, mm. uh, you know, it is noted that 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 is one of the reasons why when they first started out, uh, they ended up becoming so good because there, it was winter time and yeah. uh, there wasn't much to do, I guess. And uh, especially if, you know, a lot of these uh, men were farmers or fishermen, um, you know, it's fishing is, uh, you know, all year round. But in winter, you know, sometimes you are uh, you know stuck on land. And um, so they, they became very, very good. And I think this is a reason why choirs have proliferated so much mm. is because uh, it's something, an activity you can do indoors that's social and uh, and it, it's a way to stay, um, you know, active and out of the cold. Well, the choir in Siglifjörður, Karl Korin Vizier Au Siglifjörði, the Vizier Men's Choir from Siglifjörður, as you said, a, a long history to this particular choir, but th that's true of many other choirs as well. This choir, however, in Siglifjörður, were selling 3,000 records in 1966. We talk Indeed. about percentages of the population, percentage of the Icelandic population at that point. <laughs> That's a multi-platinum bestseller, isn't it? Truly, truly. For 1966, <laughs> definitely yeah. in Iceland. And um, as you said, there are very many famous choirs around the country. Um, but yeah, given the um, empirical nature of my research for this show, um, the Katla Kodin Visir of Siglifjörður is the one that I came across uh, because I live in Siglifjörður. And after researching a little bit of the history, I realized, you know, how um, 
uh, how popular they became. They, they, as you said, in 1966, they sold 3,000 records. Uh, it was they the the choir was originally founded by Reverend Gavney Thornstenson uh, probably around the late 1800s or early 1900s, and it was about 20 or so uh, members back then. Uh, and uh, as they evolved, they became more popular. They they played um, around the country. In 1968, they even performed uh, at the Cannes Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it is said that the festival directors were really stunned when suddenly 50 men walked up on stage and played in front of a full house. I don't think they were expecting, you know, 50 people 50 to come people. from Iceland. <laughs> pretty pretty large percentage of the population at that time yeah, yeah, yeah. to show up and, and perform in front of a full house. And um, uh, but it was about a year ago when I was... Uh, at one of the thrift stores in Akureyri, uh, going through the record bins, like we discussed in a previous episode. Yeah. And uh, I came across a cassette tape. And a I love cassette tapes. Okay. Yeah, I, I love cassette tapes anyway, in general. And uh, I recognized it because on the cover is Holtipna, which is uh, at, at one of our uh, famous mount, sort of mountains here in Siklafjord, which looks like a pyramid. It looks a bit like Mount Fuji. Um, and uh, it was a sort of sepia cover. And I thought, oh, this is Siklafjord and I... I picked it up and I realized it's from 1988 um, and it collects, it's called Hjervit Ishaf, so here by the the, the cold uh, harbor, here by the Arctic Ocean, and is a, a selection of recordings that on masses, um, songs from the choir's previous albums. And uh, I brought it home and I popped it in my tape deck and it was just a stunning collection. The voices are absolutely beautiful. Um, they cover various styles, not just Icelandic singing. There's also some popular German songs, um, some melodies from uh, uh, pop songs from um, you know Europe. Uh, so you might recognize the melody, but the lyrics are in Icelandic. And I was just so blown away. And I so I started researching it, and and I realized that yeah, that it was a pretty uh, consequential, sort of significant choir for Iceland, mm-hmm. and they even performed uh, in. Um, in Thingvellir at the sort of uh, yearly anniversary uh, of of, uh, yeah. of the old of the oldest uh, sort of well, democracy in the world, really. <laughs> well, as you've been speaking, I've been I've been digging around here, and I've managed to find a cassette player. We have a device with which we can play a piece of music from this collection. What's the the song we're going to hear? So the one I selected uh, is uh, another popular uh, folk song uh, called Fjatla Drotin Moldir Min, so uh, Mountain Queen, My Mother. And um, it, it, it praises the Queen of the Mountains, uh, blessed are you and my land during summer, winter, year and day. And um, it's one of the first traditional songs I heard when I arrived uh, a couple years ago. And so to me, this song always takes me back to when I first arrived. And when when I first arrived in Siglo, hearing this music, I didn't feel only that I was being transported to a different country, but that I was even being transported to a different era. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and that's something I love so much about Iceland uh, and, and the music helps, is that you can sometimes think that you, you are ta- taking a trip back in time, uh, a few decades or even centuries, and uh, if you look around or listen to the sounds or look at what's happening around you, you wouldn't even guess that we're in the year 2023. You would think that maybe we're in the 1800s or the 1950s. Um, so that's why I selected this song, because it it really reminds me of the the uh, original experience of arriving here and and witnessing an, an Iceland, an old Iceland that does yeah. still exist. But, um, you know, it's... 
it's something that is slowly probably fading with time. Sure. Um, All right, let's press play. We move to a name which will, I think, be recognisable to a, a great number of people around the world, maybe by comparison with some of the other names that we've heard thus far on this strand of the podcast. Olafur Arnolds, quite an accessible entry point to what you might call neoclassical music in Iceland, I suppose. Indeed, indeed. Uh, I knew Olafur Arnolds uh, before I knew his music. And I didn't even know he was Icelandic. Um, he's very, very popular. He's done a lot of collaborations. Um, one, perhaps one of his most famous collaborations is with uh, Nils Fram from Germany. And they, mm. they definitely share a musical style. It's, uh, like you said, neoclassical, um, very deep, very moving. Um, and, you know, there was a time in my former years when I was maybe a teenager and early college when, you know, it was it was a... A sort of holy triad of mm. Olafur Arnalds and Nils Fram, Sigurós and Björk, and uh, their mu- music can be so incredibly moving and dare I say even very sad at times. Yeah. So um, it it's a little hard for me now to listen to some of his music because it's so emotionally charged. I think, but one thing I really appreciate about his music is that he's he's not afraid to explore the sort of abyss of of human emotion in his music mm. um I, I i would challenge anyone to listen to an out the whole album of olaf Arnolds and not cry <laughs> okay well it's interesting you say that because i think a lot of his music and i don't mean this in a disparaging way at all is quite light it has an ambient feel and if you want to use it as music that you listen to while doing something else that's okay i think it it's it can be unobtrusive and it can be uh, a pleasant and light experience if you want it to be, as, as well as one that you can engage with a lot more emotionally, as you, as you I think, plainly have. 
yeah it, that's very true what you say yeah and i think you know if one looks at his whole um career then his more recent stuff definitely is a little more light he's he's collaborated with some you know more pop mm. artists mm. and like you said it, it i think it's also a good introduction to neoclassical music in general to um neoclassical icelandic music um it's even an introduction to traditional icelandic music because he has explored uh, traditional and folk themes uh, with some of his records um and indeed yes he, he i think he's just very very emotional uh happy sure. emotion maybe sad emotion but definitely very emotional if you notice you know he's got millions of views and and followers uh, online and i think that's yeah, probably one yeah. of the reasons like you said it's accessible well if you're unfamiliar or even if you are the piece we're going to hear is so the piece i have chosen is called ulturot uh, and it's a collaboration with atli overson and symphonia nord um, so back in 2015 or 2016, uh, Olafur did a seven-week journey across Iceland recording uh, various series of compositions with uh, local musicians. And in 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 that series of, of compositions, he was exploring, I think, more traditional Icelandic music forms. Um, and so that's why, uh, given that we're still on quite a exploring traditional music and choir music and Verimur and all these things we've discussed in this episode mm-hmm. and the previous I figured I would play something from uh, that album and not something uh, more pop and more recent. But uh, all of his music is great, but this one is uh, Ulduraut.
Oliver Arnold. I want to move to a name which has popped up in my Facebook Messenger in the last couple of days. A friend of mine is coming with her family to Iceland for a week from the UK. And she's a planner. She likes to plan everything. She likes to have a, a forward view of, of almost everything in life. And I can see you nodding. <laughs> so maybe, maybe you're the same, Lydia, as well. And she has said to me in one of her messages, I'm very much enjoying the music of Hugni. But what is that? Is that a person? Is that a group? Is that a band? And I said, well, this being Iceland, there are quite a few answers to that because Hugni Ailsson has been involved in the Icelandic music scene in about three or four different ways. I suppose, uh, and this is this is a good place to roll on from Olaf Arnold's, neoclassical music is just one of the strings to his bow, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, Hugni Ailsson, Um some people may know him from uh, his the band he was in, uh, Hjaltalin. Um, uh, and I think a bit like Ben Frost, who we mentioned in uh, the first episode, but yeah. even Olafur Arnalds, um, he, uh, Herkney has been involved also in a lot of um, music composed for film, television, theatre. Um, and people might might be already familiar with his music without even realising that it's him. Um, if anyone watched uh, the popular uh, TV show that came out a couple of years ago called Katla, mm. uh, he, he uh, did the soundtrack for that. Um, he also has done choral pieces and uh, classical pieces for a lot of uh, local uh, theatres and choirs and uh, various vocal variations and experimentations and sound installations. Um, and for the piece uh, for Katla, Voice of Katla, he also worked with... Um, Gudrun Ir Eyfjord Johannesdottir, who is most best known by her stage name, uh, GDRN, Gudrun. And she's uh, very popular here in Iceland. And uh, her voice is really, truly beautiful. And it it, it, it goes really well with um, the orchestrations that uh, Herkney does. Uh, and he incorporates classical elements. He incorporates some electronic elements. He's got some exper experimental um, situations going on there. And I think he... He represents quite well the new generation of Icelandic musicians who, who are not afraid to mix styles um, and and do that very well and for popular audiences, mm. um, you know, helping classical music enter our homes, um, you know, through a pop avenue and not just uh, you know th through old dusty vinyl records from our grandparents or something yeah. like this. And again, we find those connections, don't we? Because a piece of music that uses seismic data from a volcano and turns that into music, it is simply, I say simply, but it is technology permitting an extension of the idea that Jon Leif's had to turn the sound of a natural feature into music. You've just got technology that makes that directly much more possible. Exactly, exactly. And it's so lovely to be able to to take a classical form of, of art like music, and then, as you said, take contemporary, you know, modern, fut almost futuristic technology, taking large data, mm. and you know, turning it into music. Um, let alone for something that the data is about. So you know, seismic data from a volcano for a TV show um, that looks at uh, the Katla um, eruption, and of course, that's by Balthazar Kormakur, who mm. uh, you know, if you've been living under a rock. In Iceland, or a piece <laughs> of lava, maybe. Yeah, yeah, a piece of lava, exactly. Um, uh, but yeah, he's he's one of the most famous uh, TV producers and directors, and has you know he did Trapped and Jar City and Everest, and most recently Against the Ice. 
Um, and uh, I think the fact that classical music is sort of mixing even more uh, with uh, soundtracks, movie soundtracks, sound mm. design, and then that spills over into electronic music. You know, it's it's a very, um, I, I think classical music is no longer a dusty genre, uh, you know, uh, for for older people. And I think that's very exciting and, and very encouraging. Well, the piece of music we're going to hear from Hugni Eggleston is from Katla. Indeed, uh, Census Terae, uh, voice of Katla, uh, with the beautiful voice of uh, Kudrun.
Pugni Egelson, and I would say that wraps up our look at the history of Icelandic classical music, but we've barely scratched the surface, of course, because with so many genres of music in Iceland, there is such a, a rich and vast history. And I mean, these are themes that we're probably going to return to at some point, I guess, on the on the podcast. It's, it's so wonderful that um, you can just have so much to discover uh, in such a small country. Let's next week get into the music that came via Denmark from the rest of Europe, the polkas, the waltzes, the reels, and the various others, the foreign dances, the old dances. We're going to call this the golden oldies section of Icelandic music history. But it brings us and will bring us into pruning, I suppose, the classical pop music, you might say, of the 1950s and 1960s in Iceland. So we'll get to that next week on the show. But for now, Lydia, thank you very much indeed. That, of course, is Lydia Athanasopoulou, a music journalist, joining me from City Further, as she will again next week on the Roof English podcast. My name is Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your company this week. Get in touch anytime, english at ruv.is, and you can find us on Twitter as well, at Roof English. You're listening to the Roof English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is English.